Hello, Future Fluency listeners. I don't know about you, but the way I'm spending my money these days is different than how I spent it this time last year. The way I purchase products and services has evolved significantly as I've adapted to the norms of this pandemic. I've found new ways to shop to get what I need, when I need it, while protecting my family and trying to protect essential workers like grocery store clerks. And I, like most of you, have been practicing these new behaviors for months now. What do we make of all this? This episode, we're going to try to get some answers. I'm Ashley Marchand Orm, and this is Future Fluency, a podcast by the National Association of Corporate Directors, where we explore the changing face of America through the lens of innovation and culture and their impacts on business. We're talking today to an expert named Kian Bakhtiari. He's a consultant who spends his time studying consumer trends with a special focus on millennials and Gen Z. Here's Kian joining us from London. My name is Kian Bakhtiari. I am the founder of The People. The People is a youth marketing consultancy, and we are powered by a community of 150 young creators from all different walks of life. And prior to that, I was a strategist and youth insight lead at Then to Aegis Network, one of the biggest media and marketing holding groups in the world. Kian, in a nutshell, why is it important for us to understand the consumer? Yeah, I, I think it's important for us in the first stage to understand people. So even when thinking about the world of business, the first kind of port of call is to understand people. And once you understand people beyond the realm of consumption, so thinking of people as people rather than consumers helps us to gain a far deeper insight into the psyche of consumers. Because, you know, long before we buy toothpaste or we buy a car where human beings with feelings, emotions, dreams, challenges. And if we can kind of be more understanding of people, we'll also be far better communicators and business will be able to connect with society far better. And I think that's so important, emphasizing that people who are consumers are people first. We don't just play the role of purchaser. Could you share some of the trends you're seeing related to how our habits have changed around purchasing? Yeah, I think, I think what's very interesting is the trends before the pandemic and the trends during lockdown and currently at this stage, not very different. It's all, the only difference is the acceleration, but also the intensity. So if we think of any of the new behaviors, take, you know, take anything from online shopping all the way to kind of gifting. What, what the real trend before lockdown and before the pandemic, it was only a small group. It was 10% of the population. It was kind of the innovators or the early adopters that were kind of leading this trend. And I think what's changed now is everyone has forced to almost become an innovator or an early adopter because the old ways of doing things and the old systems no longer work. Could you go into a little more detail about that idea of more people becoming innovators now? That sounds fascinating. What do you mean by that? 
Sure. I think a really great example is uh, take video conferencing. It's existed for the last five years, like really well. So even if you take like Google Hangout or Zoom, it's the technology was there. So the technology hasn't changed. And a small chunk of people were using it effectively, but not the majority. And I think what something like this, what this does is it takes something that was, so if you take the usual kind of diffusion of innovation curve, often it takes years, if not decades, to move from early adopters and the innovators to kind of the majority. And what, what this has done is everyone suddenly had to become an innovator and an early adopter. So I'll give you a perfect example is my grandparents, they're in their 80s and they're using Zoom calls and uh, Amazon to buy, uh, buy stuff. And that's a real kind of change in intensity where you're seeing adoption of new behaviors en masse. So there's been a lot of talk about acceleration of existing trends, but also you have this intensity of mass adoption at the same time. Well, let's talk about the fact that we're now in this pandemic and there were some immediate changes in how we spend our money, right? I mean, obviously we stopped spending money on travel, couldn't go to restaurants for a while, daycare centers closed. What are some of those trends around how we're using our money differently? Yeah, I think, I think as you've pointed out, Ashley, the lengthy closure of stores. So when you have stores closed for a month, two months, three months, forces consumers to question and to an extent change their deep-rooted behaviours and habits and patterns of consumption. But what we do know is even before lockdown, online shopping was prevalent. So once again, this isn't something new. So in America, 69% of the population have shopped online and 25% shop regularly online before this is before the pandemic. I think the key difference once again is people have moved from shopping some things online like books on Amazon or clothes from the shops they already enjoyed to buying everything online. So that's, that's the shift. So when you suddenly understand I can get my toothpaste online, or I can get my, you know, like my subscription for medicine online. That changes the psyche. And I think you were alluding to this too in your last answer, but I'm interested to know how this pandemic is impacting customer behavior long term. Since we're changing our habits, and like you said, we're buying our toothpaste online now, and maybe wouldn't have done that last year, what are some of those longer term behavioral or habitual changes resulting from the pandemic? On, a, on the kind of big picture, if we were to look at it at a macro level, what we have is we know from history that moments of crisis, whether it be them war or pandemics, uh, bring society together. So there's this sense of connection where people become more community-minded. And if you, if you look kind of from a psychological or cultural perspective, And this is a generalization, but it's backed up by psychology. Traditionally, Western culture, so America, 
or Europe is more individually minded and inspired. So it's based on the ideals of the individual, personal achievement and personal gain. Whereas the East, so if you think of Asia or Africa, it's more community minded. It's all about the collective. It's, it's the good of everyone. And I think what the pandemic has afforded Western communities is an opportunity to really unite, collaborate and serve. So you've got this kind of bringing together. And I think that's, to answer your question, that's going to be reflective in our choices as consumers. So we're not only going to be purchasing products, services for personal gain, but we're going to look at what other experiences, what other products, what other services that society gains from. So that's kind of the big picture. So moving from being individually minded towards being more community-minded and caring for others because naturally this is something that affects everyone so empathy goes up at the same time and then on the kind of to that question you asked I think there's another layer where you're going to have and I think one thing you mentioned was the idea of an old normal and that's really fascinating because the idea of an old normal is an interesting one because you're, you're going to have this split between people who've really changed their lifestyles, their behaviours, they've learnt no, new skills during lockdown, and people who've largely remained unchanged. And I think that's a really important implication for businesses and brands because you're going to have these two kind of really distinctive behavioural archetypes. People who've embraced a new lifestyle and people who've largely remained unchanged. That's interesting, and it makes me think back to some of the discussions that were happening over 10 years ago when we faced the financial crisis from 2007 to 2009. Periods like that change the way we live, and they change our willingness to take risks with our money, right? I may not be so quick to spend money if I've lived through several episodes of financial difficulty or a time like this pandemic where people's employment situations are so uncertain. Experiencing the Great Recession 10 plus years ago made many millennials more risk averse when it came to spending, for example. That brings us to this next question. I know that you advise companies to help them understand consumer habits based on generational affiliation. So are you seeing any interesting highlights around how the pandemic is impacting various generations? Yeah, I think if I was, if I was to summarize one specific kind of concept that summarizes the difference is the concept of hyper-reality and the concept of hyperreality is not a new one. So it, it was first coined by the sociologist uh, Baudrillard. And really what, what he talks about is this idea of a different world. So this hyperreality is a world in which the generation of models that are real without an origin or reality. So if you imagine this world where you have, so for instance, we're having this conversation now, but we're not meeting in the same space, but who's to say this isn't happening? So it's the distinction between the real world and the virtual world. So for historically and for the last decade, it's been thought that the real world is physical interaction 
is meeting people. And the digital world and the virtual world is not real. Whereas actually what we see, so we have a community of young people and that keeps us really connected with what's happening on the edges. And what we're seeing that's fascinating is for them, there is no distinction. There's a blurred line between the physical world and the virtual world. And the virtual world is just as real. And the connections they make is just as real. And the personalities and the behaviors they hold in the virtual world, whether it be on TikTok or whether while they're gaming, feels just as real as when they interact in the real world. And that for me is not a generational divide, but an actual kind of technological divide between generations. So if we take the virtual reality side of things, so I think one, one part of that, which is, which is often not thought about to an extent is if you think of like one, one great example at the moment is online dating. So historic, like in the past, the way online dating disturbed the kind of matchmaking or online, like meeting someone at the bar and what it facilitated was it made it easier for people to go on the date. So you would meet, you would connect online, but to go on a real date in the real world. And I think what's happening now is you're seeing online dating for online dating purposes. So they're meeting online, but then they're connecting via video. And it's so easy to see a future where you have these relationships, which you might not even get to meet in the real world. And the last thing I would kind of leave, which is slightly obscure, but it's probably good to leave on an obscure note. So in Japan, there's this kind of notion of the hikikomori, and it's kind of these kind of people that don't really kind of leave their houses and kind of distant from society. And there's a real kind of danger if we, you know, if we kind of don't understand the difference between the physical realm and the virtual realm of people really kind of not in the future, let's say in 50 years, not really knowing the difference between the two. We haven't talked much in this podcast series about that, but we've talked about some related themes around automation and understanding people's desires to engage, at least with their employers digitally. But the thought of there being even this sort of culture in which people are very much willing to accept and engage with a virtual environment is fascinating right now. So many interactions have been forced onto the digital stage. We'll not go into great detail about that in this episode, though. I want to shift gears just a bit. While we've been experiencing this pandemic here in the U.S., we've also been experiencing the movement for racial justice. So many consumers, many people seem to be paying attention to where they're spending their money these days, especially purchasing products or services from companies whose values align pretty closely with their own. We've also seen a push by the black community to focus spending dollars at black owned businesses. So I'm curious if you could share with us any sort of consumer trends you're seeing around people and their habits related to the black lives matter movement. Yeah, sure. I think, I think it's um, the first thing I would say is it's important for every business. Um, 
and every organization to firstly just acknowledge the Black Lives Matter movement until there's acknowledgement. Um, there is no other step. And then once you have acknowledgement, I think the second point is before we even think about consumers, once again, it's important to listen. I think a lot of companies have moved straight into communication. We're going to do this. We're looking to do this and actually listen to people's lived experiences, listen to historical and social injustices. And I think looking at what's happening, a really good example I saw in America was Ben and Jerry's because they didn't, they didn't come out with just a statement on their Twitter. They created, they kind of really, firstly, they were involved in the initial kind of Black Lives Matter movement and they were supporting it from early. And then the second part is when they talked about it, they talked about it in reference of the historical injustices. They talked about it in reference of slavery and they, uh, they noted the action points that should be taken. So I think that's the second part. I think once, once those two are done, so we first acknowledge, secondly, listen, and then thirdly, from a, to your point about consumers, look internally, because there's no point of trying to espouse these kind of messages once again of diversity and inclusion and being representative if your business, if your company is not reflective of society, if you're at a board level, if the people don't look like they do on the streets, I think, and to that point of what you mentioned about black owned businesses, I think it's only right. And I think it, it's the perfect time where um, the communities are understanding the only way you create change is not through an advert where you have representation of people in different colors using a shampoo. It's actually by owning the means of capital and being able to use that to change perceptions and to empower communities. And I think lastly on that point, consumers are more aware than ever before. There's nowhere to hide. Uh, they will look at your kind of board of directors. They will look at the actions you've taken. So it's really important for you to match your intentions and your communication with your action through policy, number one, internal policy, but also where you allot your budget. That's actually something that I think is really interesting. We just spoke recently with an expert at the Wharton School here in the U.S., and she's done a lot of work around what she calls evidence-based belonging. And one of her key points was that if you want to affect change, it's not only important to have diverse voices with authority at the table in your company. It's also about having the right policies internally so that you can walk the talk, so to speak. Do you expect that we're maybe going to see an increase in what I have at least termed in my head organized consumer activism? that thought that people will get together and use their dollars collectively to make their voices heard? If you do expect an increase in that, maybe tell us why or why not. Yeah, sure. I think it's a fascinating, uh, I know you've coined it, but I think it's a very fascinating term. And I think it's almost reflective of where society is in 2020. And if I was to kind of think about, like if we were to take two parts of that, like the activism, but if you think, think of activism through consumerism, it's almost a paradox. And I think that's where 
that's exactly where we are today where like at its core business uh business is businesses are created to increase profit and consumer facing businesses are motivated by increasing uh, consumption so i think there's there's this really interesting but at the same time i think most companies acknowledge that unless unless they're environmentally sustainable unless they they kind of represent the social issues that matter to consumers they're not going to hit their bottom line so i think i think where it is at the moment is companies big and small are realizing that they need to reflect the attitudes of consumers whereas before it was a nice to have that's exactly right and i can see even over the past couple decades how consumers have just become more and more powerful for various reasons. Obviously, there are platforms now for us to be able to broadcast our opinions in a way that we wouldn't have been able to do prior to having the internet and social media. And it's just a lot easier to find information about what companies are doing online. So I think you stated it well earlier when you talked about how you can't really hide things from the consumer at this point. People will know if what you're doing is authentic or not. Kian, what concerns you right now or what are you paying attention to in the realm of consumer trends? Yeah, I'm what's keeping me up at night. I think the the pandemic as a whole and especially when we think of it. So now I'm kind of I know there's a health crisis, but I think equally there's going to be an economic crisis that comes off the back of the health crisis and I think it's going to be big. It's going to be huge it's going to be um to use your wording kind of unprecedented in terms of because you've had usually it's uh, you know like when you think of the economy it's usually demand side so demand increase decreases and therefore you kind of enter this recession but you've had this reduction in supply side and if you have large number of people losing their jobs uh, to your point before, you're going to have a reduction in, firstly, consumer trust, but also, uh, secondly, uh, disposable income. And I think the, especially the people that are going to be hardest hit is the younger generation. So the people who are entering the world of work today. And I think actually there needs to be a whole uh, restructuring of how we think about work moving forward because it's not going to serve them and they're not going to be able to survive or even pay their, their college degrees with the job that they receive. What should the pandemic and the seeming instability of this current environment teach us about the consumer? Yeah, I think if, if you kind of, I think it is unprecedented for if we have, it depends how you look at history. So, so almost if you take a short-term or long-term view of history. So we know like in the past, like if you take ancient history, there was the plague. If you take kind of, uh, kind of the 1400s, there was the Black Death. And even 100 years ago, there was the Spanish flu. And I think what's interesting about all of those, if you analyze historically, these are major events that led to obviously really sad, lots of 
uh, deaths far higher in perspective than the current pandemic, but it led to leaps of progress and kind of the old ways of doing things dying and new ways uh, occurring. So take, take the, as an example, take the Black Death. Following that was the Renaissance and this kind of opening up of new ideas and sharing between borders. I like that frame of thinking, the idea that a period of great progress could be birthed out of our recovery from this pandemic. So as we think about recovering from the pandemic, what do you think it'll take for the American consumer to recover? And maybe more specifically, what are the signs that you're going to be looking for that would tell you that we're on the right track? From my side, I feel like this is going to be slow. It's going to be a slow recovery it won't be an upshot and i feel like the number one determinant is um government-led so how much kind of government support uh is given to both individuals um businesses particularly small businesses uh as well as actually big ones that employ lots of people and workers so i think the first determinant is that and that's why you will see different policies across nations and therefore you're going to see different outcomes um actually i think there might be a kind of upshot at the beginning as you kind of and i'm sure you're experiencing it now as you come out of lockdown people want to experience stuff they want to go shopping they want to go to restaurants um my thoughts is how long will that last and there's an economic reality to this so the truth is if you don't have money to spend at the end of the month you're not going to spend. Um, I suppose where there's hope, and to your point about optimism, I think especially with the new generation, you've got a flexible, a more flexible economy where people are doing more than one thing. And I hope what this could be the start of is more of a entrepreneurial economy where people, even if they're out of work, they start their own thing because it's never been easier. If you're a consumer facing organization so if you're a brand or a company what's clear is as we emerge out of the lockdown uh there's a clear need to kind of reassess and re yeah review your entire kind of consumer segmentation strategy because what worked in the past and the kind of communication strategies and the kind of attitude behaviors and mindset of consumers is completely shifted and the only way to adjust adapt and connect with consumers in the future is if you understand those changes very well said kion thank you for spending a bit of time with us and for sharing your insights and listeners thanks again for joining us Our next episode is going to be a good one. We'll be focusing in on the tie-in between social impact and innovation during the pandemic. In late March, when we were almost asking ourselves, like, how is your toilet paper supply? They were asking a different set of questions. They probably were also asking that question too, but they were asking questions like, how bad is this going to be for our government systems? And what can we do? That's next time on Future Fluency. For more resources and guest bios, check out the show notes or the episode page at nacdonline.org slash podcast. 
Future Fluency is produced by Bruno Falcon and edited by Bruno Falcon and Mark Williams-Holscher. This podcast is a production of the National Association of Corporate Directors. For more information on NACD or to become a member, please visit nacdonline.org.